Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Friday morning men's breakfast minus the breakfast. Uh, glad you could be able to join in on this teaching session here this morning. And if by chance you're looking at this uh, men's breakfast teaching for the very first time, uh, fortunately, we won't be able to get to introduce ourselves to you personally today, but would love to hear from you. Uh, shoot me an email at dsouth, that's D-S-O-U-T-H at wcchapel.org. And I'd love to be able to, to get to know you a little bit. Um, we have 20 jam-packed verses that we're going to be looking at this morning uh, from, from Mark's gospel. And there we're going to see Mark is showing how Jesus fulfilled a number of Old Testament prophecies and how he also fulfilled some of the promises and prophecies that Jesus had made even earlier in Mark's gospel. Um, we're going to see that Mark is teaching us about what it means to stay faithful in, in the face of, of persecution and suffering, uh, how to stay faithful when things get hard or when things even get dangerous and we may even be risking our, our lives for the sake of the gospel. So we're going to pretty much pick up where Wes White left us off last week uh, in the garden after Judas had come and betrayed Jesus with a kiss. The soldiers or the temple guard came and arrested Jesus. And then we see that the disciples left him and fled. Mark 14, 50. They left him and fled. So with that context in mind, I'm going to start off with the first section of this morning's passage from Mark chapter 14. We're going to be reading verses 53 to 64 just to, to begin with here. And I'm reading out of the ESV here this morning. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and all the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about their own testimony, they did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man, seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Wow. Um, we see here that after Jesus' arrest, they took him to the home of the high priest. And this group is called the, the Council in the ESV. You have an NIV or another translation, it might say the Sanhedrin. 
The Sanhedrin was a group of 70 Jewish leaders that were made up of, of scribes and priests and made up of Sadducees and Pharisees, the different branches of within Judaism. And they, they were kind of like this ruling council of the high court. They, they were the, the, the ones that had the real clout in terms of applying the Jewish law and all things religious. The decisions came from this council, and, and, and they would make their, their deliberations on that. So after his arrest, even late at night, in this very unorthodox, unusual timing of this rushed kind of a, a time before the high priest, and the Sanhedrin was calling witnesses to testify and the, the text tells us that they had a goal in mind. They had one particular goal, and, and that was that, that they wanted to find Jesus guilty uh, of the death penalty. Uh, so Peter is following, it says, in the courtyard from a distance. Uh, to, to his credit, he, he is the only disciple that's even mentioned as getting that close to the danger where Jesus was. And verse 55 tells us that the ruling council wanted to find the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death. Now, they ran up into some problems with their goal of, of putting Jesus to death, because even though they had this predetermined outcome in mind, they had enough respect for the Jewish law that's found back in Numbers and, and Deuteronomy to know that they could not impose the death penalty on someone without having at least two or more witnesses who would agree, as the witnesses sort of acted as the prosecution, actually. And so as they, they came before the witnesses, their stories just didn't line up. They, they didn't add up. Uh, we, we do hear that there was one particular testimony, though, that has a ring of familiarity to it. And someone supposedly had heard Jesus say, I will destroy this temple, and in three days... I will build another that's not made with hands. Well, that's very close to what we find John uh, chapter 2 uh, recording is, is what Jesus did actually he's say. He, he did say in John 2.19, records this saying, uh, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. A couple things we want to note here. The first thing that Jesus says is destroy this temple. He didn't say, I will destroy this temple or any other temple. He wasn't uh, talking about an act of sabotage or trying to blow anything up or knock anything down. He was just saying, destroy this temple, and I will raise another one up within three days. The, the second thing that we see here is that John goes on in John chapter 2 to explain to us that Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. He was not speaking about the physical second temple where the Jewish people worshiped the, the Lord Yahweh. So it's kind of easy to see how a Jewish religious leader could have misunderstood what Jesus was saying and to think that he was talking about somebody or himself destroying the, the temple. Now, throughout all these accusations, um, Jesus remained silent. He just didn't really open his mouth to, to say a word, uh, any defense against the false claims that were being brought against him. There's, there's probably a great lesson there for all of us, but that's probably another, another message to be given. But in this regard, by, by staying silent, Jesus fit the bill of the suffering servant and some other passages from back in the Old Testament. But the one that's most notable to me is probably Isaiah 
chapter 53, verse 7, where it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So the high priest, after having this string of false testimonies against Jesus, where no two stories would align to be able to convict Jesus of any kind of a a capital offense uh, at all, uh, the, the high priest resorts to just asking Jesus a very direct question. So he says to Jesus, are you the Christ? Or are you the the son of the blessed? Now, we want to just recall that the word Christ here is uh, the Greek word that means anointed one. It's uh, the translation pretty much of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means Messiah. And, And that's the idea of this anointed king that God had promised that he was going to send to deliver his people. And this king would be coming from the line of the most highly loved and respected king, King David. So son of the blessed is just another way of saying son of God. But in this case, it absolutely referred to a human Messiah when the high priest was using it. Uh, It was a popular term. Both son of God and son of man were were common terms at the time that were used to refer to the, the coming of the Messiah. Uh, And so Jesus was being asked, are you the Messiah, really? It was just another reiteration of that question. But Jesus replied to his question, this direct question, and Jesus gives a very direct answer. And he says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Another name was used for God rather than using his name. And you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus' answer to the high priest marks a a real major turning point in, in Mark's gospel. Because up to this point in the gospel, from the very beginning onward, pretty much Jesus has healed people. He's done miracles. He's cast out demons. And, and most often we see him saying, now go and don't tell anyone. What has happened or who did this to you? This is this very special technique that that the Gospel of Mark uses called the Messianic secret that we've talked about in the past, showing Jesus doing these signs, but not really wanting anyone to know. Even when, when Peter said to him, you are the Christ, Jesus told Peter and all the disciples, he, he warned them not to tell anyone else. Now, Jesus knew that the Jewish people in general, and the high priests and the, the, the Jewish leaders in particular, were, were expecting a, a human Messiah. They were expecting a military conqueror to deliver them from their, their enemies. No one was expecting God himself to come in human flesh, to conquer not just physical or political enemies, but to, to conquer sin and, and to conquer death. By, by sacrificing himself in human flesh as a substitutionary atonement, uh, a, a living, perfect Passover lamb of God. So J- Jesus knew that, that if he revealed his identity to everyone too soon, uh, that people would misunderstand and, and his mission could actually be, be compromised. 
So when the high priest directly asked Jesus if he was the Messiah, and Jesus answered, I am, we see here that, that Jesus had been waiting for the time to come, and the time had come. From, from this point on, there, there is no more messianic secret here in the Gospel of Mark at this time. G Jesus is announcing who he truly is. Now, we really can't be sure, but Mark may have intended with this answer of I am uh, to be a response that would connect his readers to Jesus uh, in the special name that God gave to Moses back in Exodus, where Moses asked God for his name, and he said, tell him, I am has sent me. And God revealed himself to Moses as I am. And we see Jesus in the Gospel of John using that very, very directly uh, in, in reference to himself. So uh, when, when Jesus uh, did speak, so a couple of things we are certain about. When Jesus did speak and he said, you will see the Son of Man seated uh, at the right hand of, of power, he, he was saying, I am fulfilling the words of Psalm 110, verse 1 about the coming Messiah. And, and that verse says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then when Jesus said, but you will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he, he was saying, I am the one who is fulfilling the prophecy hundreds of years ago found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, which says, Behold, in the clouds there came one like the Son of Man. So in, in these verses, G Jesus has experienced this thorough onslaught of false charges. And every single time that he has opened his mouth, when he did not remain silent, the only thing he spoke out of his mouth was truth. Even though he knew that, that speaking such truth was, was going to end up in his own death. So in, in these verses, the false charges against him, he, he's been uh, under the high priest's inquisition. Jesus' truthful answers resulted uh, in this council passing uh, a charge of blasphemy against Jesus. And the penalty for blasphemy in the Old Testament is uh, the death penalty, a uh, capital offense. So th this fulfilled Jesus' warning that he'd given to his own disciples. During this time in Mark, we've seen Jesus give three different warnings to his disciples within a couple of chapters, 8 through 10, where he said, the Son of Man, or Jesus, or I will be, be killed, I will be raised from the dead. But in the third uh, warning, he, he says, the, the, high, the chief priests and scribes will condemn me to death and deliver me over to the Gentiles. Now, the, the details of just how God sovereignly uh, work this out to fulfill that prof prophecy of Jesus are, are pretty remarkable. Because the, the Jewish Sanhedrin had a lot of authority among the religious community. They were able to, to find someone guilty of a death sentence, and they could actually charge them under their own religious laws with a death sentence. But Roman law limited the Sanhedrin's power and would not allow them to execute anyone or to carry out that sentence. So we remember that, that the Sanhedrin had this goal from the very get-go here of finding some kind of evidence that would be able to impose the death penalty on Jesus to get rid of them. It's what they thought of as, as once and forever. But blasphemy wasn't going to cut it 
with the Roman government. The, the, the Roman government uh, did not find blasphemy against Israel's God worthy of the death penalty. For in, in actuality, just about every Roman would have been guilty of blaspheming uh, Israel's God. Therefore, if the Jewish council was going to achieve their goal of having Jesus executed, uh, they they needed to have some sort of a political charge against him that the Roman government would recognize and accept as a capital offense worthy of, of the death penalty. Now, when Claude teaches uh, next Friday morning, uh, we're going to see in Mark chapter 15 how the Sanhedrin brought the political charge of treason against Jesus. They, they presented him as a self-declared competing king who, who threatened the authority of the Roman emperor Caesar. Now, but before we continue in our text in the 14th chapter of Mark, uh, I want to read, first of all, go back to Mark 14, 26 to 31, which I think sets up the context for what we're going to read then in verses 66 to 73. So if you have your Bibles, uh, your device, you may want to, to read along with me, going back to start off with verses 26 to 31, and then I'm going to jump over to 66 to 73. Verse 26 of Mark chapter 14. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And, and they all said the same thing. Moving on over to uh, verse uh, 66 and through the end of the chapter. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and she said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went on out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him, and again and again to say to him, to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down. And he wept. We see back in verse 27 that Jesus had prophesied that not just Peter, but all of the disciples were going to fall away from him. For he says, it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's a direct quote referencing back to the prophet Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 7. Again, written hundreds of years before this time period. And at that time, Peter protested, and he said, even though they all fall away, I, I will not. 
And Jesus prophesied in response to Peter's bravado. And he says, before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you will deny me three times. Now, we, we began our, our reading this morning. I'm sure my computer's awake there. Excuse me. We, we began our reading this morning right after Jesus' betrayal and arrest when all the disciples left him and fled. Honestly, we, we really don't know what kind of a state of mind Peter had uh, at, at that moment. Um, did he deny knowing Jesus because he was afraid of losing his life and he just kind of melted and cowered down and, and, and messed up? Or was Peter in his own bravado thinking, you know, I'm willing to die with this guy? Was he trying to play kind of a special ops guy undercover? And part of his ruse was to deny knowing Jesus, hopeful that he might get a chance to rescue him or, or die trying to do it. Honestly, we just don't know. But, but what we do know is what Peter said and, and what Peter did in, in his three denials. When accused of being with Jesus the first time, Peter denied he, he even knew Jesus. And the language that he uses in the statement, he says, I neither knew him nor understand what you mean. Turns out that this seems to be a phrase or the language that would be used in a court trial when someone would be pleading not guilty to a charge. Uh, so Peter was using legal language here. Right, right after that first denial, Mark tells us, okay, a cock crows. There's one cock crowing there. Uh, and there, there's been a fascinating study that I came across that seemed to have had been kind of a longitudinal study, like over 12 years, these observations about the timing of roosters crowing in Jerusalem. Uh, and it seems that they, they came up that the first time the rooster crows, maybe three to five minutes, is right around 12 to 1230, within a half an hour of midnight. And, and then it's almost as if it's like clockwork. The second crowing takes place about an hour after the first crowing. And, and then there's a third crowing. It would take place another hour after the, the second crowing. So from, from that, if that's accurate, we know that Peter's first denial happened just after midnight, probably around between 12 and 12.30 a.m. in the morning. And after a second denial and then a third denial, Peter uses a curse. And the, the curse was not vulgar language or we say he, when he was swearing, it wasn't like swear words that we sometimes say in our English vernacular here. No, Peter was actually cursing himself, calling down a curse from heaven upon himself. And the form would be something like, may, may blank happen to me if I am not telling the truth. And the blank would always be filled in with something, may, may lightning strike me if I'm not telling you the truth. And so Peter called down such a curse uh, upon himself. And, and Mark writes that immediately following that third denial, when Jesus, or when Peter pulled the curse down upon himself, the rooster crowed a second time. So at the sound of the second crowing, Peter remembered what the Lord had said about denying him three times before the rooster would crow two times. And Peter broke down and, and he wept. Now, brothers, in, in this passage that we, we've just discussed, Mark has been describing and comparing two case studies, I believe, and, and faithfully keeping commitments in the face of persecution and danger and suffering. Now, while, while Jesus was being questioned about his identity by the high priest and the Sanhedrin, 
Peter was being questioned about his identity, about his relationship with Jesus. I think Mark, by going to Peter and then to Jesus and Peter and to Jesus, he's showing these two men being on trial. He's juxtaposing the two of their experiences. Mark wants readers to see that in a real sense, they were both on trial. And there's perhaps even a third trial going on here that the Sanhedrin fails because it was their job to be able to recognize the Messiah when he came and they were they were missing it. And so they they were asleep at the switch also. Um, but as, as we look at these two trials here, Mark wants to see that both Jesus was under trial and Peter was under trial. And to use the popular vernacular here today, uh, Jesus nailed it and Peter failed it. Uh, huge distinction between the two outcomes. Jesus didn't, did not deny who he was even though he knew that by telling the truth, his identity would lead to his crucifixion. And yet he actually knew that from the very beginning because he knew that was the Father's plan since before the beginning of time. Now, Jesus uh, did not deny who he was, but in in contrast, uh, whether it be from fear, whether it be from some sort of a misguided attempt to think maybe he could rescue Jesus by, by being on the sly, you know, we don't know, but but for whatever reason, within the space of one hour, between like 12.30 a.m. and 1.30 a.m. in the morning, Peter had denied knowing Jesus just as vehemently as he had previously argued that he would never deny him. He, he didn't deny him one time. He, he denied him on three separate occasions. In trying to to really understand Mark's intention here and what he's saying here, I think we need to ask, why did Mark choose to craft this chapter, chapter 14, the way that he did, sort of interweaving Jesus and Peter and Jesus and Peter? Uh, We we, we want to remember that Mark's gospel uh, is really to to help us, uh, to, to show us how to serve and to suffer like Jesus, uh, our, our Lord, and that Mark, Mark was writing to Christians in Rome probably just before the Emperor Nero went kind of crazy with persecution, and things the persecution was starting to heat up, and it was likely to get a lot worse, and it did get a, a lot worse. And, and so uh, the, the big idea here that I believe Mark has for us, and you can find this on a, on a slide that's separate here this morning, is that, that no matter how faithful we think we are, anyone is capable of of denying Jesus when it gets hard or dangerous to follow him. Peter thought he was so faithful. His declaration of loyalty and commitment to Jesus was was over the top. And and Peter ended up failing and he denied the Lord. I, I believe Mark was driving home this point that only Jesus was always faithful. Only Jesus always did the will of the Father. And if if somebody like Peter, sort of this prince of the apostles, uh, and by by the way, seemingly having a very influential influential, uh, role among Christians in Rome at the time, and possibly even traveling to Rome, possibly being crucified in Rome, the, the, the Romans looked up to Peter, and as we know, the official doctrine of the Catholic Church would say that Peter was even the, the first pope. So if a guy like Peter can, can crack and break and deny Jesus under pressure, Mark is saying any one of us is capable 
of denying Jesus under pressure. And Mark wanted his readers to learn from Peter's mistakes, and he wanted the readers to learn from Jesus's faithfulness. Now, in the following uh, couple hundred years after this time period, when the persecution got really bad under Nero, all the way up to probably the early 300s, persecution got really bad. There were lots and lots of Christians who were burned at the stakes, thrown to the dogs in the gladiator ring. They, 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 they were martyred in one way or another. Many of them were crucified like Jesus was crucified. Uh, so many of these, these Christians paid the ultimate price uh, of death by being faithful to Jesus. But then there were others who had once professed faith in Jesus, but then they denied him when it got dangerous, when their very lives were at stake. And, and some of them would say, well, I, you know, I still believe in my heart, but to save my life, I'm going to kind of pretend like I don't believe, and God will maybe understand uh, when it's all over. Well, what, what happened was once the persecution lifted, some of these people who had renounced Jesus in an in in attempt to save their lives, when it got safe to do so again, they wanted to come back into the church. They wanted to be fully affiliated in a part of the church Christian community once again after having denied Jesus uh, when the going was really tough. And this caused one of the greatest uh, sort of schisms and, and debates in, in church history. It's very interesting to go back and, and to look at some of those controversies there. Um, but whether to let them back or not was, uh, was, a, was a tough question. And it, it was not by chance, though, I think, that, that Mark— place this Gethsemane prayer time that Wes talked about last week in the location that he did. He, see, that, that prayer time comes right after Peter and all the guys said, no, no, everybody else deny you. I'll never deny you. I'm willing to die for you. And, and then we go to the prayer time. And then the thing that happens right after the prayer time is the disciples fled Jesus. Okay, so he put that prayer time right in between their adamant, professions, I will never deny you, with their first fleeing when the, when the going really got, got tough. And I, I believe that was to show, uh, again, the, the, the contrast here between Jesus and them. Mark, Mark reveals that while Jesus was there anguishing in prayer, while, while Jesus was surrendering himself to the Father, saying, if it be possible, let this cup pass from my hand, but not my will, but thy will be done, the disciples were sleeping. And, and so Jesus' prayer and surrender empowered him for the faithfulness that was needed when the suffering came about. Mark, Mark one of these Roman Christians who, who were about to go through the pressure cooker of persecution and suffering to see that, that even Jesus need, needed to, to wrestle in prayer, and he needed to continually be surrendering his will to the Father's will in order to remain faithful to the mission that he had been called to perform even in the very face of death. Now, sleeping when we need to be praying paves the way for unfaithfulness. No matter how boldly, no matter how loudly we profess that we're going to remain faithful, and we, we won't deny the Lord. Uh, if we are not constantly praying and surrendering our will to the will of the Father, we may find ourselves in a time where we're betraying him. One of the interesting things about the story of Peter's denial is how it actually even makes its way into the Bible. From everything we see, Peter was the only guy, and that's something to his credit, that he was at least trying to get close 
to where Jesus were. There's no other disciples mentioned, no other believers mentioned there. None of the women are mentioned there. Peter's the only guy that we see uh, at that particular place and time. And Mark himself, who wrote the gospel, never claims to be an eyewitness to these events. Uh, in fact, most scholars believe that Peter was the source of Mark's information, and Mark crafted his gospel from information that he had gotten mostly from Peter himself. Now, if that's the case, then Peter told Mark about denying Jesus three times. Apart from Judas, Peter's epic fail was probably the worst mistake we see any of the disciples making. And we would think, well, maybe Peter has every uh, motive to want to make sure this story never sees the light of day and nobody else ever hears about his big blunder. But it seems like Peter had no interest in trying to cover this up. Peter was willing to tell Mark this story. And in fact, we find this story in all four uh, of the Gospels. Um, Again, Mark has this, this idea the big idea, I believe, is that no matter how faithful we proclaim to be or we think we are, anyone is capable of denying Jesus when it gets hard or dangerous to follow him. This is one of those occasions where I'm really grateful that we have four Gospels and not just one. Um, we don't really hear Peter's name again after this in the Gospel of Mark. The only time we hear it is when he tell, the angel tells the people, go tell Peter and the others that the Lord is risen. There's no more interaction between Jesus and Peter, no more words spoken from Peter's mouth. We don't know anything more about Peter after this moment of denial. When he's, the last time we really see him is when he's broken down weeping. But John's gospel gives us another little window into what's happening uh, later on. After Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we, we find out that, that Jesus took Peter aside and we have that great conversation. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you, Lord. Do you love me? And then feed my sheep, then feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And Jesus talks to him three times about it. And Jesus ends that conversation by restoring Peter to ministry. And he, and he says to him, Peter, follow me. Coming back to the very first call that he gave Peter when he was coming to be his disciple initially, after the three denials, Jesus calls him again, Peter, follow me. Now, I don't know about you, this was, again, a, a very terrible moment in Peter's life. It, it's one that many of us would have wanted to forget about and hide under the rug. But, but Peter takes this moment that was one of the worst moments in his life, and, and, and then Jesus takes this moment as well, and, and they make it one of the best moments for the gospel to be declared in a very, very deep and profound way. Because, I, again, I, I don't know about you, but this passage that knows not just that Peter denied the Lord, but that the Lord restored Peter with this wonderful grace to call him back to following him once again. That gives me great hope and great courage because and about you, if you've ever feared that you were not as faithful or if you ever found that you just were not as faithful as you had thought you were, maybe you found yourself fearful or fearful of losing a relationship, fearful of what other people might think, Fearful that if you really follow Jesus and the ethics of the kingdom, that you might not get as much back on your tax return. Fearful that you might not have as much wealth in your account if you give generously like Jesus is calling us to give. Uh, And so then you find yourself sort of denying and denying this. Well, I don't really need to to do that. That's not really who I am. And Jesus is calling us to be faithful to say, Lord, not my will, but, but thy will be done. And when we blow it, 
like Peter blew it in an epic fashion. Just like Jesus had grace and forgiveness for Peter, he has grace and forgiveness for you and for me. So whatever failure you have, maybe you think you've had this epic failure, this denial. You've said you were going to follow Jesus and you didn't follow Jesus and you haven't been following Jesus. But but today, for some reason, you're watching this teaching and you're hearing this story about Peter's epic fail and how he gladly put it in the New Testament for you and I to be able to benefit from. And how Jesus showed him grace and forgiveness and love and called him back into fellowship and into ministry and and said, Peter, follow me. So regardless of your fails and and you're perhaps denying Jesus after saying you wouldn't, uh, Jesus is calling us this morning to repent, to come to him. And he's calling us to, to follow. So having said that, you, you and I do need to be conditioning ourselves so that when things may get hard, when things may get dangerous, when, God forbid, but in some way, someday we may be actually facing uh, danger by professing our faith in Jesus Christ, if that day ever comes, that, that we would be ready in situations when it gets hard, when it gets dangerous, that we would be prepared to follow Jesus' faithful example and to say, Lord, not my will but thy will be done. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this beautiful word from the scripture. And Lord, this morning, we, we, we desire to be faithful to you, but we know that we're capable of denying you just as Peter did. Lord, we, we pray that we would be, we'd be praying when we should be praying and sleeping when we should be sleeping, but that we wouldn't get the two mixed up. And, and we pray, Father, that as hard times may come, as dangerous times may come, that the Holy Spirit that is in us would reflect Jesus living through us and that we would be faithful as he was faithful. Now, Father, may thy kingdom come. May thy will be done in our lives this day as it will be in heaven. Amen. Father, it's good to be with you. If you have any questions or things you want to talk about, love to get an email from you. Um, Hope that you will be able to join us Sunday morning at nine o'clock when our worship service goes live on the church website. God bless you. Have a great weekend.